Good to see you all this morning. Okay, we're on week five, point number four of our New Life Base Camp, or uh, as I unfortunately called it earlier on this week, uh, New Life Boot Camp, <laughs> by mistake. It's because it's not boot camp. Boot camp's a kind of correctional facility, isn't it? If you go to boot camp, you've done something wrong. So you're not here at base camp because you've done anything wrong. But the whole idea of base camp is a place that we can be equipped to live our lives to the full. This is a place where we are resourced, where we find what God wants us to do and we are equipped to do it. God calls us all to live full lives with the power of his spirit. Yes? To enjoy it. (laughs) But also, he calls us to go and make other disciples, and we'll be hearing about that next week in the fifth of our tent pegs, which is go. And in going as disciples and followers of Jesus, we are called to make other disciples. That's the nature of the strapline, the vision of this church, that we're called to be like Jesus at the heart of North Yorkshire. And what did Jesus do? He went about living life to the full, bringing the kingdom of God and making disciples and followers. It was a a resourcing place, Not, not just collectively, but individually, that we would be individually resourced and that as a church, we would be collectively resourced to be in the stream of God's Holy Spirit to be where he wants us to go. So we looked at rest a place where we receive refreshing and renewal and we we gain our strength from our work. We looked at breathe, a place where we can be resourced by his Holy Spirit as we breathe in God's Holy Spirit, the equipper of our lives, to bring energy, to bring direction and to bring power. We then looked last week when Rob led us in prepare, as we prepare to go, As we find our gifts and our purpose and we're able to deploy them and we get things in order, we train ourselves that we get ready, that we prioritise things in our lives so we know what to do, how to do them, when to do them. And this week is the fourth tent peg and that is to pray. Now we've all heard loads of sermons on prayer and there are loads of books that are written on prayer but we're going to be looking at the most famous prayer in a few moments the prayer that we've already prayed this morning, the Lord's Prayer. I've got one or two quotes for you on prayer, which I thought were quite helpful before we just read the scriptures. Oswald Chambers said, We tend to use prayer as a last resort, but God wants it to be our first line of defence. We often pray when there's nothing else we can do, but God wants us to pray before we do anything at all. It's good, isn't it? D.L. Moody He who kneels the most stands the best. That's a good one, isn't it? And Martin Lloyd-Jones, who died in 1981, at the age of 81, I remember hearing him about 10 years before that at Westminster Chapel in London. Prayer is beyond any question the highest activity of the human soul. Man is at his greatest and highest when upon his knees he comes face to face with God. And Mother Teresa Prayer is not asking. Prayer is putting oneself in the hands of God at his disposition and listening to his voice in the depths of our hearts. Some very good help when we come to pray. So let's turn in our Bibles to Matthew chapter 6. And we're going to read from verse 5 down to verse 14. 
In Luke, the other gospel that we get this teaching from Jesus, the disciples come to Jesus and say, teach us to pray. They've watched him pray. Early on Jesus' ministry, he prays an awful lot. If you start to read, as I've done over this last day or two, the number of times that Jesus is found praying. He's up the hillside, he's in the desert, he's in the morning, he's at night. All sorts of times and situations. And the disciples would be curious about what Jesus prayed and how he prayed. So they asked him this question. Lord, teach us to pray. So verse 9. And when you pray, Jesus said, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray, standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by men. I tell you the truth, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door and pray to your father who is unseen. Then your father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. This, then, is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Amen. Jesus' model of prayer. I don't know whether Jesus intended us to pray it as a regular prayer, but then there's nothing wrong with doing that, because it's good. But I think more importantly, Jesus intended it to be a model as to how we should pray, what kind of things we should pray for, the order of our prayer. And I want to focus this morning on one particular passage of that prayer. And it's where Jesus says, pray that your kingdom will come and that your will will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We spend a lot of our time in prayer praying about our own things, don't we? Our own needs. I've got a bad back at the moment, which seems to be getting a bit better, but this morning got bad again. So I'm thinking I should pray for my back. And of course, there's nothing wrong with doing that. God invites us to come with our needs to him. He says in that prayer that we should pray for our daily bread. That's right, isn't it? That's our, the things that we need in our lives, whether that's uh, physical healing, whether it's income and our job and all that kind of thing. God wants us to, to bring those in prayer. That's true. But there's a higher thing that we should be praying for. There's a higher goal that we should be praying for. And that is that God's kingdom would come and that his will would be done in our own lives, in the lives of our families, in the lives of our community, the lives of our society, the lives of the world at large. That's what Jesus is saying here. I would also like to say that for me, one of the big things that we miss out in prayer is listening. We do a lot of talking. We say our prayer, we come to God, we give him a list of things that we expect him to do or we'd like him to do, and we say, thank you, Lord, amen. But like any form of communication that really works, communication is a two-way thing. We know that in our relationships with one another. We know that in marriage. You go to a marriage guidance counsellor, he will tell you it's all about communication. If you don't listen to your partner, as well as expressing your own opinions, you will get nowhere. And prayer is our resource communication with the God of heaven. When you think about that, it is phenomenal. It's mind-blowing that we should be able to speak to our creator God, that he should be interested in hearing us, that he loves us, and he wants us to understand that. 
but that we should be able to hear from him. When was the last time you heard from God? Have you ever heard from God? Have you ever heard his voice speaking to you as you pray? Have you ever heard God speaking when you've opened the Bible and a verse you've read and you've thought, wow, that's God speaking to me. It's not just the word of God, but it's the Rima word of God. It's for now. It's for me. It's life-giving. It's life-changing. It's resourcing. Your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now, people in Israel speak Hebrew and they would have spoken Hebrew as uh, Jesus would have spoken this in Hebrew. It's written in Greek, but it would be spoken in Hebrew. And it's interesting in understanding this phrase, your kingdom come and your will be done. It's the way Hebrews would speak and it's called parallelism. It's where a statement is made twice, but in two different ways. So in the first instance, it's said one way. Then whatever is the point that's being made is said in another way, which either repeats, amplifies, or explains the first way. Now, I've lost you completely there, haven't I? Psalm 46, verse 1. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. So the first phrase explains God is our refuge and strength. And the second phrase really explains or amplifies that by saying a very present help in trouble. Another one, Psalm 46, verse 7. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. Do you see what I mean? That was a way the Hebrew language worked. They would say something, and then they would follow it on with something else that kind of made sense of the first statement, made it bigger, amplified it, explained it, made it understandable. Your kingdom come, your will be done. So in other words, in order for God's kingdom to come, his will must be done. When his will is done, turning it on its head, his kingdom comes, as it is in heaven, as it so should be on earth. So that maybe helps us to understand what this means. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now, of course, there's a future aspect of this in that one day God's kingdom, physical kingdom, will come in a future day. We read about that, don't we, in Philippians 2 where Paul talks about Jesus being exalted and saying there's one day that's coming that, that every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that he is Lord when his kingdom comes in that future day. I don't think that's what Jesus means here. He means that we should pray that the will of God, that the kingdom of God should come here and now in our lives today and in our communities today. Is that possible? Well, Jesus said it was possible. His ministry kicked off in Matthew chapter 4 by saying, repent, the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God, interchangeable, is near. And when speaking in Luke 17 to some of his opponents, some of the Pharisees, he said, the kingdom of God is among you. What did he mean by that? Interesting. We're going to come to that in just a moment. William Barclay says this about this statement. To be in the kingdom is to obey the will of God, just as the will of God is obeyed in heaven. Immediately we see that, we see that the kingdom is not something which primarily has to do with nations and peoples and countries. It is something which has to do with each one of us. It is personal. The kingdom demands submission of my will, my heart, my life to the God of heaven. It is only when we do that that the kingdom comes. Very good words. 
The same applies to our church, and the same applies to our community. When we place Jesus into the center, we start to understand and experience the kingdom of God. Just as Jesus brought the kingdom when he walked physically on the earth, this is the amazing thing, we can bring God's kingdom and his will to bear upon not just our own lives, but the lives of people that we touch in our families, in our communities, in our streets, in our workplace, in our towns, in our cities, in our society. That's what Jesus is praying, that the will of God, that the kingdom of God would come now into the situations of our world. The word kingdom in Greek is basilia, and it means literally a people or a territory over whom a king rules and reigns. But Jesus is not talking so much about a physical territory or a physical kingdom here. He's talking about our hearts and the lives of people who submit to the loving rule of the king. So the kingdom comes when the king is there and when the king's rule and authority is noticed, recognised and obeyed. That's when the kingdom comes, when the king's rule is present, when his will is done in your life and in the lives of our community. Wouldn't that be great? That the rule of Jesus would be seen and recognised and obeyed. So when we pray your kingdom come, we pray that people will come under the rule of King Jesus, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords. How society would be different if that was the case. That the ruler, the evil ruler, if you like, was displaced by God himself. How our politics would be different. How the language of politics would be different. It's good for people to have robust opinions in politics and to have different opinions, but it's not good for people to be rude to each other. It's good for us to have different opinions in church but we graciously accept one another and respect one another's views. Unity doesn't necessarily mean uniformity. How different would our society be if this prayer was to come to pass? That Because of the rule of Jesus within our own lives, where we go, we take the kingdom. So what does that mean for us today? Let's have a look at a couple of aspects of this. So when we pray your kingdom come, I want us to look at what happens. What we pray is that the kingdom authority of God would come. We pray your kingdom come. We're actually praying God's authority, his kingdom authority over our lives. When we're involved in God's work, when we're involved in his work, we can't do it without the power of his Holy Spirit and without his enabling and his authority. So just look for a moment at how Jesus operated In Luke chapter 5, Jesus is faced with a man who's paralysed. And there we see the authority of Jesus. Not only did he heal the man, but Jesus said, just so that you know that I've got authority on earth to forgive sins, get up and walk. Jesus had authority to forgive. In Luke chapter 4, as he announced his manifesto, Jesus spoke, the Bible says, with such authority that people were amazed at the power of his words to change lives. He had authority over sickness and death. Everywhere he went, he was healing. 
people rose from the dead. When he sent his disciples out, what did he send them out with? He sent them out with authority over evil spirits. Matthew chapter 10. And to heal every disease and sickness. We see Jesus' authority over the physical elements in Mark chapter 4. When on the lake, the storm came and the disciples were asleep in the boat. There we see Jesus standing up and he says, peace be still. He had authority over the elements. You remember the words of the disciples? Who is he? Even the winds and the waves obey him. He had authority in able to turn water into wine at the wedding in Cana. Authority over the physical creation which he had been involved as the son of God at the beginning of time in bringing into being. And we could go on. And another one, he fed the 5,000. He took a few loaves and a few fish and he made a feast for 5,000 people. This is the authority that we're praying would come through us into our lives and into our community. And he gives that authority to us in Matthew 28, 18, which probably we'll be hearing about next week, where Jesus says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, so go. And he's inferring there that we go as the authority that he has from the Father is given into us. And this authority gives us direction in our lives and it gives us timing and it gives us control over outcomes because we're putting our lives in the hands of the king and his authority. I just think this morning about the living rooms, which is starting fully tomorrow, and the time it's taken us to get there. It's four and a half years since I first had the idea of having a hub in the town. Four and a half years. And, you know, there's been so many cul-de-sacs that we've been down, so many partnerships that we were unable to make, so many times when I've stood up in front of the church and said, this is, <laughs> this is the way we're going to go. I think this is the building we're going to get. And it's been incorrect. But you know, we believe that the kingdom is going to come through the living rooms. As Christians in this town, from the Catholic Church, from the United Reformed Church, from the Church of England, from the Methodist Church, and from our church, people from those churches... The kingdom has come in their lives, will be present in that room. That God's kingdom will come. And we've just had to live with the fact that we didn't know when it was going to happen. Or how it was going to happen. We didn't know about the timing, we didn't know about the place. And we prayed, Lord, let your kingdom come, let your will be done. Sometimes praying it with a little bit of faith, the size of a mustard seed, wondering when it was going to happen. And I'm sure that people in the church and other churches wonder if it, if it was going to happen, never mind about when it was going to happen. But tomorrow, it opens. And the conversations that many of us have had with people who've passed by that room, who've said, what is this? We've invited them in. We've said, it's a place where it's okay not to be okay, where we, we're just going to care for people and help them and point them in the right direction and pray with people if it's appropriate. And it's the church at work in the town. Oh, which church is it? No, it's all the churches. Oh, together, yeah. That's when the kingdom comes, when we acknowledge that Jesus is over this ministry. That it's not one person, it's not one individual, it's not one church. It's the Lord Christ, his authority. And we pray today, your kingdom come, Lord, over the life of this church and everything that we do. 
Change our lives, Lord. We pray today that your authority would come over the decisions that we need to make, the times when we don't know the direction going forward, where we're confused about our health, our job, whatever it might be. Lord, let your kingdom come. Let your will be done. And if we really mean it, we do so in surrendering our own wills to the will of the king. We see Jesus doing that, don't we, in the Garden of Gethsemane. Even Jesus. Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. But no, not my will. Yours be done. Surrendering our lives to the will of the king and allowing his kingdom authority. We pray your kingdom come because we pray that God's authority would come and the power that comes with that. So how do we pray? We pray that demonstrates kingdom values. So Jesus said here, don't do it just to show off. Don't do it just to sort of show that you can pray and that you are praying that somehow people will think better of you. That's the inference. Because your motives are wrong. We don't want any of that, he said. And don't babble with a lot of words. Some of us can be accused of that from time to time. Keep it short. God knows what you need. He's looking at an expression from your heart, not how much you've understood the dictionary or the encyclopedia. Pray together. Praying together was a feature of the early church. They put prayer as a priority. They met together regularly for prayer. As soon as something was slightly going wrong, they would meet together for prayer. They prayed together when Judas, remember, had taken his own life and they needed their numbers to be made up again. What did they do? The first thing they did was they came and they prayed. In Acts chapter 6, when they were looking for new people just to serve tables, they came together and prayed. It was a feature of the early church, their dependency upon the king. And the values of the kingdom are seen. As we pray that prayer, your kingdom come and you will be done we are saying to God, let the values, the Holy Spirit, God-given values of the kingdom work through me. And so prayer is at the centre of the living rooms. In the property that we've got, which is just a fantastic space, if you haven't been there, every Tuesday afternoon over the next four weeks, we're open just for visitors to have a little look round. It is a fantastic space. It's just in the right part of town. It's in the centre of town, but not on the high street. Loads of people pass. It's discreet. It's just fantastic. And the way we've been able to equip that has been beyond my wildest dreams and the wildest dreams of those who've been involved. The favour that we've had, we had a £1,000 of the carpets given to us by Calvert's. All the removals were done by archers free of charge. We've had all sorts of decorating work done and furniture given. All the the furniture from Joe Cornish when they were refurbishing was given to us. All the the furniture from Costa when they were refurbishing was given to us. We've had so much favour that God's authority and now God's values are going to be seen in that place. And we believe that prayer is at the centre of that. So in the space, we have created a prayer room. Now somebody said to me yesterday, it's a quiet room. I said, well, it is a quiet room. But it's a prayer room. It's also a quiet room. It's not a quiet room that is a prayer room. You see my drift? It's primarily a place where prayer will take place. And we invited the other church leaders to pray in that place a few weeks ago. We had representatives from all the churches in town praying a prayer of blessing and praying that God's kingdom values would be seen. The values of care, of humility, the values of love, of caring for those specifically in need. 
of putting others first, of recognising people's name, that they're not just a person, but they're a name. Honouring people. These are spirit-given kingdom values. Values of justice and respect and honesty and integrity will be seen and prayed for in that place. Here is the prayer room. It's a significant chunk of the ground floor. I didn't, didn't think it was going to be quite that big till it was up. But there we are. This was taken less than 24 hours ago. Two people welcome you into the prayer room that's also a quiet room. And when I've invited people off the street uh, to come in and to go into that prayer area, as we've done over the last few weeks, just come and have a look. So many people have said, oh, this is it's a lovely space. This It feels special, people have said. It feels different. People have recognised that something is different. Now, it's only plasterboard and wood and paint. But in that place, the kingdom of God has come, is coming. And people recognise it's different. They don't quite know what it is. But I can tell you what it is. It's the spirit of God through the kingdom of God, through the people of God, coming into that place. And that's why lives will be healed and changed in that place. Let your kingdom come and your will be done. And the other great value of the kingdom that we see in bucket loads in the living rooms, and that's what Jesus prayed for in John 17, that we would be one. And as a result of that, others would see God through our oneness. And the amazing unity that we've had between the churches in town in this common project Unity in finance, unity in effort, unity of spirit, unity of heart has been mind-blowing. The Bible says that where we dwell together as Christians in unity, God commands the blessing. His blessing will be upon that place. And we pray, your kingdom come and your will be done in our lives and the lives of the community. I don't know where the living rooms is going to take us as a community, as a church community in the town, but I do know that it's not the end. This is just the beginning of the way in which God's kingdom will transform our community if we continue to pray and operate in this way. And so when we pray your kingdom come, what are the results of prayer? The results of prayer is that the kingdom comes in power. God's kingdom comes in power. 1 Corinthians 4.20, and this is what Paul says, for the kingdom of God is not just a lot of talk, it is living by God's power. When we invite and pray for God's kingdom to come into our lives and the lives of our community, we can expect change. Acts 4.31, after they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken and they were filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. Do we believe the power of God can bring about change in those areas of our lives that we struggle with? The answer is to submit to the kingdom of God and his will. Today, if you've never ever submitted, if you've never ever given your life and heart to the Lord Jesus, maybe you want to do that today and allow his life-changing power to come in, to bring his forgiveness, to bring his healing, and to bring eternal life. Maybe you struggle with things in your life that you constantly butt up against. Let's pray your kingdom come, your will be done. And the trigger, the catalyst, the thing that will make it happen is our submission of our will to his will. No time to read it this morning, but in Acts chapter 12, we read the story when Peter was in Jerusalem and he was imprisoned for his faith. 
Herod had just taken James's life by the sword. And what did the church do? Well, of course, they came together and prayed. And the inference was that they prayed together as well as praying. <laughs> they prayed together because at the end of that passage, it says about the prayer meeting that there were many gathered for prayer. And as they prayed, God came. God's power came in a wonderful way. The first thing was that God's power was released as the angel of the Lord was dispatched. We suddenly find there's a light shining in Peter's prison. We suddenly find his chains have gone. So as they prayed, your kingdom come, the power of God was released in a wonderful way. As they prayed, the power of God brought the unexpected because Peter was woken up from his sleep. He thought it was a vision. The Bible actually says he didn't know what was happening. He thought it was a vision. He was told up by the angel to put his cloak on and put his shoes on. When we pray, your kingdom come, we are releasing the power of God to bring about the unexpected. Only takes a little bit of faith. As they prayed thirdly, the doors of the prison were opened in verse 10 of chapter 12 of Acts. The Bible says the doors were opened by themselves. Well, actually, they weren't opened by themselves, really. They were opened by the power of God. Doors don't open by themselves. The power of God opened them. And they walked through two sets of guards. Doors were opened. Will you want doors opening in your life? Pray. Your kingdom come, your will be done. And let's see what God will do. Let's see what doors he will open as his power is at work in opening doors that don't normally open. Peter was also rescued from the power of the evil one through their prayer and through the power of God being released. Verse 11 of chapter 12, it says, After Peter realized what was happening, he said he knew without a doubt that the Lord had sent his angel to rescue him from Herod's clutches and all that the Jewish people were anticipating. When we pray for God's kingdom to come and his power, we are praying against forces that we don't see. Paul says in Ephesians 6, we wrestle not with flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers. And God's power is able to triumph over that. This is some of the power that is released through God's kingdom coming. I wonder today, dare we pray that for our lives? Dare we lift our level of expectation that as we are preparing in our base camp to go, that we would pray for your kingdom to come and that your will would be done? What difference would that really make in our lives and the life of this church and the life of the community that we serve today? In a moment, we're going to take communion. And I would like us to say this prayer the Lord's Prayer. We're going to use the contemporary style this time. We said it in the traditional style earlier on. Interestingly, as I was preparing for this, I read in Mark chapter 14, the section where Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane. And you remember his disciples were sleeping? And Jesus came to them and he said, can't you stay awake? And it says that Jesus went back and prayed again. But interestingly, it says something I've never noticed before. He prayed exactly the same words. So we can say things more than once. It's not wrong to repeat prayers. In fact, sometimes it's good to persist in that way. Jesus said in Luke 18, he told them a story about a, a persistent widow who constantly came back. And he gave the story at the beginning of 18 of Luke. Say, Jesus told them the story that they should pray and not give up. That's what it says. So it's not wrong to repeat our prayers. It's not because God is deaf. It just reinforces that prayer in our own hearts. So... Let's say this together. Our Father in heaven, 
hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Let us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For the kingdom, the power, and the glory are yours, now and forever. Amen. Amen.